any other aspects of your investment thesis that you like to highlight so we uh, we fundamentally describe our thesis in sort of three pillars right one is you should be solving a global and big problem you should be solving it using a 10x differentiated technology that's where the deep tech angle comes in and you should be a team which can pull that right so if you have these three things then we are good to go and then we don't care whether you are in agri tech you are in space tech you are in saas manufacturing whatever right we are very very open to looking at disruptive ideas across technologies and across any sector hi i am prarajit and welcome to another episode of deep tech musings podcast a show where we get actionable and tactical insights to take your deep tech startup from 0 to 1 today we have with us vanish who is the founding partner at pi ventures an ai and deep tech focused investment fund and in many ways the pioneer in this field vanish so glad to have you here hi pranjit thank you so much uh, pleasure to be on your platform looking forward to our discussion as always my favorite topic to start a discussion is to delve on founding stories so please let us know a bit about your background and the founding story of pi ventures what was the mm-hmm. motivation what's its mission i've been in the technology domain for almost 30 years now started off as a technologist developing uh, hardcore products and somehow as luck would have it i wherever i ended up big company or a startup i was always working on a cutting edge of technology so that actually was probably the seeds of uh, you know what we are doing at pi because from early days uh, you know somehow got trained to look at disruptive technology cutting edge technology and make products out of it and when i left my last product startup back in 2010 from then uh, i basically started mentoring companies in my sort of free time and uh, that gave me some sort of a pathway into investing in them as an angel actually so my journey as an investor from a technologist started as an angel investor almost 10 uh, 12 years back and slowly as i was uh, doing investments i realized uh, this was 2011 2012 i realized that we in india are not there yet in terms of backing our companies early on i mean the angel ecosystem was very raw very poor term sheets very few lead investors hardly any consolidation happening on platforms where you could go and uh, get connected so that led to the formation of nets venture where we try to bring angel investors from across the world to help product companies in india that went up very well and during that journey i realized that because nets venture is more like a broking platform right i'm connecting dots between yeah. investors and startups but that journey made me realize that if i have my own fund then i can back these companies lock deeper and help them to grow in whichever way i can so that was the next set of seed if you will uh, which sort of led to pi ventures uh, and then then i left let's venture and took me a year, year and a half to launch pile but early 2016 is when we launched pile that time the idea was fairly simple and not that deep tech by the way it was about backing ai companies ai product companies in those days right and as we built, started building the fund as we started investing in companies we realized that we tend to do a better job when the companies have a disruptive angle to it and therefore we started looking at disruptive right where like we did niramai sectopol wisa pixels 
saw these companies which were really very early bets in generative AI as well. Right? In those days, generative AI was not even known. So over a period of time, and then we raised our first fund, $30 million invested in 15 companies. And along with it came Agnikool, which was very different from what we were doing in AI. Right? It was a space tech, uh, hardcore physical company. And that led to another uh, sort of dimension to explore that, you know, AI is good and there is a lot of good stuff happening there, but there is a whole big wide world in the physical inno innovation space, typically driven by material science innovations. And that led to that formation of the thesis. Now, to cut the story short, we are investing out of our second fund, which is an $85 million fund. And the thesis has is outright deep tech. So we invest in anything deep tech be it AI, be it material science, or be it other digital technologies which are not AI-based. Got it. Sounds awesome. And I think there are a lot of corollaries uh, to start with AI and then have a deep tech focus there. And as you mentioned, I think disruptive is the key word which uh, stands out for me, uh, which is common across uh, all. So obviously that's a thesis that you have taken ahead with. Any other sort of aspects of your investment thesis that you like to highlight? So we uh, we fundamentally describe our thesis in sort of three pillars, right? One is you should be solving a global and big problem. You should be solving it using a 10x differentiated technology. That's where the deep tech angle comes in, right? And you should be a team which can pull that off, right? So if you have these three things, then uh, we are good to go. And then we don't care whether you are in agri-tech, you are in space tech, you are in SaaS, manufacturing, whatever. Right? We are very, very open to looking at disruptive ideas across technologies and across any sector. The other aspect of the thesis is to invest early. So we are typically the first institutional check, sometimes second institutional check, but we like to back our companies at seed stage or pre-series A stage. And then, of course, work with them alongside and put subsequent, you know, we back them across many rounds. Got it. And so you mentioned few startups, standout ones uh, like Vaisa, Niramai, uh, Sigtapal, Agnikul. Right? So what role has Pivages played in their growth? What can a deep tech startup look forward in terms of support from Pivages? This question is actually better answered from our founders. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they would uh, go on on just this topic for one hour, I believe. Let me try and put it a framework to it. And then, uh, hmm. because what happens is that we end up helping and not helping in different areas of any startup, right? So we come with a, some fundamental philosophies. Number one philosophy is bring an operating mindset to the table. So I've built companies, I've built startups, and we, are, we have other people in the team who have done the same. So we always bring our operating mindset to the table to our founders. Number two is all of our founders are experts in their own areas, right? They know a lot more in that technology than us. How one product is different from technology. So you can crack a technology, but how to launch a product requires you to think what a customer needs, how to get to the market, etc. So a lot of our effort actually in the zero to one journey with our companies go in taking a technology or an MVP out there to the market with, and in the process converting a very heavy technology narrative to possibly a commercial narrative or a business narrative. 
just to double click on the operating mindset it is important to know what that means right so it essentially it not only means to work alongside them in getting the product to the market in the zeros and ones but it can also go in many different details right so for example i think we have sat down with our founders and designed their esop plan for their organizations because that's one area where founders sometimes need some help or even designing their mis even sometimes sitting in their interviews for helping them on hiring so we come with a mindset of whatever it takes where we can help we help at the same time we don't want to go and sit in their operating path if you will we don't want to do that we, uh, so wherever the founder needs help we try and pitch him to our best of our ability sometimes we are able to help sometimes we are not able to help. got it absolutely love that uh, hands on approach uh, that as an investment from you are taking to help in that uh, start and i also kind of concur with uh, the thought that uh, deep tech founders often tend to uh, fall in love with the technology part of the side and they are inherently by the definition of the sector a bit the technologists themselves so the product aspects kind of uh, falls or takes a second seat however if we want to make that lap to market kind of transition that has to take precedence at some point of time and i think that's how you mentioned you make that transition efficient for the startups so uh, i think maybe i should say it here right it is not so much about founders not willing to make that transition it is actually a hard problem sometimes you have cracked the technology yeah. it is not very obvious in what avatar a product will succeed in the market so right. that's a that's a problem solving effort right so the founder knows something we know something we put our brains together and we figure out what is the right way and what is the right messaging for that product right so to us it is a problem solving journey rather than anything else sounds good now you have uh, as i mentioned invested in the early stages of uh, these startups typically in their 0 to 1 growth stage so what are the top 3 things that you look for in a deep tech startup at this early stage while deciding to you know invest and partner with them so we broadly look at just three things right one is are you solving a massive problem which is global in nature uh, all our companies they may start in india they may start somewhere but once they are out there in the market typically cater to a global customer base and that is very super important especially for deep tech because that's how you get the right revenue curve scaling when the time comes number 2 is that the founders should have some idea of how they will solve that problem in a unique way using their innovation on whatever thought you have sometimes you back companies where there is a hypothesis of cracking an ip and not an ip yet but sometimes you back companies where they have cracked an ip so they have some proof already so that's the second important part that how can you make a 10x difference to the outcome of the problem that you are solving using technology and the third is of course the founding team itself in the early stage some of these answers are not clear some of the things that ideas pivot also along the way but founders sort of remain constant so do the founders have the right tech ability do they have the right ctm ability are they willing to learn whatever they don't know because it's a very multi skilled role a founder's role is a very multi skilled role as things and challenges keep changing along the journey of the startup and they need to be able to rise up to those challenges to take their company forward so some of those things we look for in the founding team 
sounds good. On the aspect of uh, solving for global problems, uh, do you think Indian startups are positioned well to solve for global problems? I mean, we don't see something like Israel. Uh, they are a startup nation which basically, which with the goal of solving for global problems itself. Uh, we don't see much stories uh, from India that much. Would you agree? And uh, what would be yeah. your thoughts on that? Uh, I think uh, uh, we are in early green shoots of our deep tech journey. So let me step back and answer this question. Right? Hmm. So if you look at how world views India from a technology standpoint, and if you take a slightly wider time frame of, let's say, last 30 years, then what are the transitions we have made? 30 years back, we were pretty much a body shopping nation, right? We were just, brain drain was on, yes. people were going out or whatever, right? Right. Then came a phase, so we were known for uh, good talent, basically, right? which is available for hire. Then came a phase where uh, people said, okay, let Indians develop where they are, but we will tell you what to develop. Right? So there came a phase where a lot of product engineering was happening outside, but hardcore development was happening in India. And that was an important phase in the whole journey because then the Indian tech system developed that muscle memory of developing IPs, right? Then what is loosely called as a SaaS revolution, there we can see many success stories which are global, right? Freshworks being one of them and so many others. Yeah, yeah. So there the template is, okay, I know what problem to solve. I know how to solve it and I know how to sell it, right? So it's a completely India-grown thing which goes global. Now we are at a cusp where technologies, and you can see that transition. Earlier, the technologies were very simple. They, they were just done well. So they were able to scale globally. But as we are going forward, we are seeing that technology is becoming more and more complex. What does that mean? It basically means deep tech is coming into play. And you will see more and more companies coming out of India, which are deep tech, but solving for global problems. And we have many in our portfolio itself. Pixis is, for example, in multi-million dollars of revenue across global clients. So is Visa. Nirama is getting there. Agnikul, which is actually doing rocket engines, all their customer pipeline is from abroad. They will get into revenues in a in some uh, in a few months. So slowly, as this ecosystem grows, when these companies scale, then those success stories will actually bring about that perception change, probably that you were talking about. Because perception will always lag what is on the ground, right? So so we have to give it some more time. But if you look at these grass shoots that are happening, they, they are very promising and very solid. That's great. In fact, the way you have put it into that whole context, historical context, uh, really put things into perspective. Now, one thing is to change global perspective. As you mentioned, it's uh, changing. Uh, what about the local Indian perspective about deep tech? Uh, do you think deep tech startups don't get as much visibility or media attention as such, like the other counterparts like fintech, edtech and on? And is that required? I am not a big fan of media attention. I think they create hype more than anything else, right? So <laughs> it's not so much about media attention. I think what we should talk about is whether they are able to raise money when they need it because that's mm -hmm. fundamental fuel to growth. Now, whether they are able to sell what they are growing globally, right? So if I'm okay. able to do the, all that, I don't care where I'm published or not. Some of our actually companies which are most scaled, you will not find them any article or anywhere. They prefer to remain outside the glare of the media. 
we just kind of head down, just get the work done, right? So uh, to me, that's not a benchmark. My benchmark is this. And if I can take that framework to answer your question, deep tech funding is increasing. Almost every fund is looking at deep tech now. Just like five, six years back, every fund started right. to look at AI. Right? So I don't think, okay, everybody's looking at it, but the one challenge that I find is how many really understand the technology. Right? And that is going to grow. People will get the right people in their organizations to look at technology, etc. Right? And uh, that's on a good path. The other part is, are they people who have built their products, are they able to sell globally? A resounding yes. Actually, we have seen that multiple times over in our portfolio. If you have something really good to offer, right, you are solving a relevant problem in a good way, then customers don't bother where are you from, right? They just want their problems to be solved in a good way. So, but if you have an incremental solution to what they already are using, then of course it will be hard to sell. But if you have a disruptive solution, of course, it sells. Got it. And I think that, that makes sense in the also the way that uh, you get then more founders who are passionate about deep tech doing those startups and not just for the uh, visibility or the uh, other such aspects to do it. So you mentioned about uh, funding as well, that funding is a sort of a metric to understand how uh, mature is uh, the sector. Now, also... You yourself have now raised your second fund, which is a 700 crore Mamad fund. So what challenges have you faced in raising this fund and how does it compare to your fund one, the environment when uh, during when you raised your fund one? Short, I think raising funds is one of the hardest things I've done, done in my right. <laughs> period. It is very hard. Uh, it took me almost two years plus to raise the first fund. It took me two years to raise this fund as well. When we were raising our first fund, there was not much known about what AI is. In fact, one of the investors asked yes. me, why are you raising money for Air India? So we, you know, just to the lighter note, right? But today, if you ask, everybody knows about AI. Yes. So it was early days for us and it took us, and the natural question is, okay, fine, we hear you, but where are the companies doing using proper AI, right? So we had to create those examples through our portfolio, build that trust and confidence in investors, and that took two years to close a $30 million fund. This time around, when we were doing it, good thing is we had a good portfolio to show that, okay, we can do disruptive AI investments. This time, the questions, but our thesis was also expanding alongside. So it was not just AI, but we were looking at material science, and we are looking at some physical tech. And then the questions were, okay, what, what does this take? What is the gestation period? How will you analyze them, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera, right? So there's a new set of questions, and we raised this fund pretty much during COVID, right? So that meant uh, no travel, most on Zoom, which, by the way, I loved. <laughs> I hate traveling uh, <laughs> meetings. That was yes, hard. That might be a playbook that <laughs> you can now make for future funds, and there's becomes a standard in the industry. Yeah. So. But the market had moved, right? So in first fund, when we were doing it, the local family offices in India were looking at this asset class, but still watching it, right? But this time around, we actually raised quite a bit of money from family offices in India. So almost everybody now is looking to get a piece of the venture ecosystem and they're investing in many funds. So domestic capital 
are getting unlocked was a big thing for us in this fund Good. with respect to last fund. And that's a maturing ecosystem sign, right? So I think uh, it will grow more as we go along. Got it. Great. So you started uh, raising for this fund around two years back and around the same time uh, you also came out or Five Ventures came out with this uh, report titled Deep Tech Shifts 2026 which is quite an extensive take on the deep tech sector. Yeah. I believe you uh, covered around 20 deep tech sectors in that report. So tell us mm -hmm. the motivation behind that report. See, this is a constant work that we put in in researching different themes. At time to time, we release our work. We don't believe in holding back knowledge. We believe in sharing our knowledge. Because when we share our knowledge, we learn more. So at that point of time, when we did the Deep Tech Shifts 2026, we had been actually doing researching along those sectors quite a bit. And we felt that we had something to share with the world, which is meaningful. And therefore, that report came out. I don't know whether you've seen, recently we have published our mini-blogs. And you can see all of them on Medium, on our uh, website as well, in the blog section. We've actually went ahead and published the entire thesis of five in a series of mini-blogs. Which is, Great. you can say, a refresh of that deep tech thesis as seen in the last few months. And we will keep doing it. Yeah, in fact, that's awesome. I I, th I don't think I have seen any other uh, player in this uh, industry to come out with some extensive reports. And I definitely will put the link in the show notes for others and encourage the listeners to check that out as well as the blogs that you mentioned. So how has this themes played out over the last two years? And uh, what are some of the new thesis uh, that you have now uh, come up, uh, as you mentioned, you have put on the blogs? There are a lot of micro details here, but let me try to give you some overall framework, which is sure. easier to explain and understand as well. So in the AI part, right? AI has become, or rather becoming more and more horizontal, right? So what I mean is that almost every product has an AI layer or I'm thinking of putting an AI layer. The technology is becoming easier, more off the shelf, etc., etc. So that led to us, and since we do only disruptive tech, that also means that if one company is using AI, it is very easy to replicate what they are using by another company. And that doesn't give us the comfort that we need for disruptive tech. Therefore, in the going forward journey, we will see lesser of applied AI investments. We still find some disruptive applied AI use cases. But at the same time, we felt that as AIs go mainstream, develop AI models, people need tools and shovels. So we are actually quite bullish on AI infrastructure. In fact, we have made a couple of investments from this fund in AI infrastructure, which I think is a very ripe area right now because they are solving hard problems as AI is picking up steam. So that's one yeah. big shift. More infra, less applied. I'm not saying no applied, to be very clear. There are uh, right. applied use cases, but they are lesser, which are disruptive. Second big change that we saw is in the material science. Material science is the next frontier of innovation, I believe, which will be needed. And why is it so important? If you look, go and look back at our history, actually the eras have been defined by materials because they actually move the whole economy and the 
the society forward, right? For example, Stone Age, Iron Age, Silicon Age, like that, right? Because they change how things are being done. So, material science could win, and we can see that actually. We can see that in multiple cases that material science is driving a lot of innovation. For simply put, right? We don't still don't have a very good alternative to plastic, especially now that we have gone to cloth bags and all, at least in the shopping. But if you go to healthcare, a lot of plastic gets you, right? And Yes. don't have a good alternative. There is a lot of work happening in breaking down the materials which come out as an e-waste or other waste so that it is more, we build a more sustainable uh, planet. That's another example of materials. One big theme that we have picked actually and we have made an investment also is the food tech driven by material science. Food as we know today will change dramatically in 10 years, right? So, we are under a lot of pressure, greenhouse pressure, emissions and just the land that is needed to produce food that is not animal-based. Right? So how can I produce milk and cheese which is not coming from a cow but tastes like same, nutrition is same? How can I produce artificial chicken, fish, etc.? So there's a lot of work happening on the food tech side which is actually a material science only. To give you a few examples, right? So this, this material science is the second big pillar that we are looking at in a big way in this part. And the third pillar is actually digital, but not AI. So we recently backed a company called Silence Laboratories, which are multi-party authentication. It's a security company. So there are other technologies which is not AI, not physical, but in the digital world. So those are some very interesting technologies that we will uh, we are looking at that are coming through. And the fourth pillar is a intersection of some of these, right? So how AI can play a big role in how material science innovations are done. In fact, we have a company uh, called Piminuto, which is actually a generative AI company. Now the just to be very clear, generative AI does not mean LLMs by the way, right? Uh, LLMs is one part of generative AI. Yeah. So, this is a generative AI company which is creating protein structures totally using AI, which can work as antibodies for diseases, right? So, this will require you to marry the digital world and the physical world before you come out of a full product, right? And we are seeing that more and more. How the intersection of some of these fields is needed actually to create some disruptive products. I think that is how I would uh, sum up uh, answer to your question. Thanks, sir. That's a great overview. I think uh, potential founders looking for some new ideas, that's uh, some good exploration ground that you have given. Uh, in terms of uh, generative AI, how do you see this field uh, spanning out in the next two, three years? Uh, we have uh, right now, say, three layers, uh, probably the infra layer, the platform layer, and then the application layer if you think of generative AI as well. Where do you see this space moving forward? Yeah, it's moving actually so fast that uh, sometimes you can't even see it moves so far. <laughs> yes. So I think the way we look at it uh, is that we don't like so much of LLMs from an investment perspective. Although we have seen some interesting use cases where LLMs have solved some non-trivial problems. But they are a very interesting technology and it is maturing very fast and it is going beyond text. It is now going multimodal as well. And what yep. we see is that 
actually lot of our companies who have fundamental AI stacks are using LLMs to do part of the job in building that stack. So how do you, for example, LLMs can be a great source to generate synthetic data for testing. So a lot of the support for the products uh, can be automated using LLMs. So that's one vector that we see. I think that the fundamental foundational model research uh, that is happening across the world and now there are three, four players is something that we don't see that as a investment ground, at least for us. It's a very high capital game as well as um, a lot of these companies are very big head start. So unless someone comes with a very different way of uh, doing things than, you know, which is sort of a difficult problem. The other area we do believe is that whenever a technology goes horizontal, right? So LLM is going horizontal in the sense that a lot of companies can use them for different things. The need for evaluation, the need for infrastructure in developing and testing, etc. goes up. So there could be some interesting opportunities in that side of the world for the LLM technology. But their LLMs are great. I think it will solve a lot of enterprise problems and consumer problems in an easier way and make AI more and more accessible as we go along. Yeah, and I, I agree with your point that I think only LLMs as a technology, as a differentiator, that's not a very strong proposition because we have seen historically that there has been shifts in technology uh, in the AI space. So earlier, we had some statistical techniques, the neural networks, then LSTMs, transformers. So now it's LLMs. Two, three years again, down the line, it will be something else. Yeah. And so I think we come back to your point wherein uh, the product and the problem it's solving, I think that, uh, takes, that should take precedence. And if LLM is the right tool to solve for it right now, so be it. But uh, I think the startup should be flexible around the technologies. Mm. And uh, so, but ultimately solve the problem uh, that's there. Sure. Good. So let's uh, now uh, conclude our discussion with some of your advice uh, for entrepreneurs on the top three things they should consider uh, to take their deep tech startup from zero to one. I'm not sure I'm in the best place to give an advice on this. Uh, but something you have seen from your experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to step back a little bit and abstract it out. But that every problem is different. So I'm not a believer of copy and paste playbooks. I think every founder and entrepreneur needs to deeply look into their problem area, their solution, their technology, and then chart out their zero to one place. The second yep. thing I would say is, in your mind, differentiate between technology and product. Sometimes we think of it as together. But for every problem that you are solving, there is a tech path and there is a product path. I would highly encourage people to look at them as two roadmaps, technology roadmap and product roadmap, and then work through. And third thing is, as deep tech founders, and as innovators in technology, when you're working on your technology, always create a business narrative alongside it. It can change over a period of time, but it'll help you connect with folks who, who want to see the application side of it. And it will also help you clear your own mind 
on how to take a technology to a product. Got it. Great. And often uh, one of the hardest things for deep tech startups is also uh, that market adoption. And I think partly uh, that's what you're mentioning, making that transition uh, to the product. And so once in that product, one of the key aspects is also say how to get the first 10 customers, especially for a deep tech uh, startup. Any thoughts around that, how deep tech startups have positioned themselves? I think a uh, few things that probably can work. Uh, again, I am saying the disclaimer is that every situation is different and people should right. use their common sense to figure this out. I think the first set of customers typically come from your own network. And the sometimes call them design partners, right? So people are designing yeah. their product alongside those customers. So that's one. Second is, uh, as I'm saying it, I'm losing confidence in it, but in a lot of cases, it is possible to create a minimal viable product along with tech development. In some cases, it is not. But wherever possible, create those, get your POCs going with customers. The earlier you can go, get them going. The earlier you will get a sharper focus on the product and be more clear on it. And then just don't, go with too many of them, right? You can just have four or five customers in the beginning till you're making your tech and product before you are ready to scale. Got it. And uh, maybe create a good narrative, right? Explain, spend yeah. time on creating a narrative. How do I create my messaging? Sometimes I feel that that's one area where uh, people don't pay that much attention. But I think messaging creates a lot of impact because it's your sort of it's a door opener, right? And then you can go forward and see what the product really does. Absolutely. And I think on that last point, uh, I really echo. And uh, sometimes what we call it is like a language market fit. Uh, is your language resonating with your end uh, user? Okay. And uh, lastly, so what are some future initiatives being planned at Pi Ventures? Actually, uh, we continue. I think we are head down focused on making investments. So we need a lot of founders these days and trying to get that piece going. Alongside, we are actually also launching uh, a sort of, a, we have not named it yet, but it's going to be a, some version of office hours, right? where founders can apply on a link or people who are thinking about launching something in deep tech. And I will uh, personally spend almost half an hour with them to see if there are any things I can help in getting them from zero to one or getting them started. So that is something that we will launch awesome. uh, as early as next week, actually, sometime. Yeah. Great. That's great to hear. So where can people find you and PyVentures online and how can they be useful to you? So uh, like PyVentures, we, are, we go to our website, PyVentures.in. And if you want to write to me, it's Manish at PyVentures.in. We look at all emails. So happy to email in. And I would encourage uh, listeners or any prospective deep tech founders to also go ahead and utilize those office hours that you are going to start soon and also apply in if you are looking for funding and all. Great. Manish, it's been great uh, having you here. Thanks for those insights. I'm sure the listeners have taken in a lot of uh, good things and uh, that are helpful to in their journey of zero to one. Appreciate you taking out time from a busy schedule. And all the best uh, for the new fund and the future initiatives. Thank you so much, Pranjit. And uh, thank you again for calling me for your podcast.